0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Shalom. Shalom. Shavu. 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 No mar etashima. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. Hashem Eloheinu. Hashem Eloheinu. Hashem Echad. Ve'achavta et Hashem Elohecha. Ve'kol le'vavka. Uve'kol nabshecha. Uve'kol. Good morning. I had to do something to get everyone back. Um, this is the famous Shema, you may have heard the, the phrase, and I figured I would put up the English also for those who may have not had the, their chance to bone up on their Hebrew grammar this morning. So as you can see, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. I was trying to act it out a little bit. I don't know if that was helpful or not. Um, But it's interesting, that word that we have here, meaning here, not here, but also here. (laughs) Hear, O Israel. That word in Hebrew, Shema, also means to obey. And so in some senses, if you don't hear something, or rather, if you don't obey something, did you really hear it? And today we're going to be looking at a woman who did hear the word of the lord but the interesting thing is she wasn't part of the israel to whom this prayer was addressed so uh and today i'm not the only speaker up here by the way we're also going to be having spencer wright our awesome intern and so uh if i'm going long please tell me to get off the stage because we need to hear from him too um, but together, we're doing Faithful Obedience in Uncertain Times, and I wonder if you can relate with that message today. Um, it's a little difficult for me. I think it might be difficult for many of us. And in particular, I'm going to try to cover Finding Faith in Uncertain Times, and we're going to look at a passage from 1 Kings 17. But first, I wanted to give a little introduction to this series for those who made us be coming, and we're doing Stories of Faith And it's based off of a passage in Hebrews 11. Some people call it the hall of faith. Other people say, why are you calling it that? That makes it sound like a sporting thing. Uh, Either way, it's a list of faithful persons. And this is what ties them all together. Now, faith is confidence in things hoped for and assurance of things not seen. And so when Spencer and I were meeting together, and by the way, I just want to give it up to to Spencer right here. Uh, We've had so many thoughtful conversations in the past two weeks. He's such an amazing brother. And I hope that some of you take the time to meet him and have thoughtful conversations also. Uh, This is a collaborative effort. I just want everyone to know that today. Um, We were trying to find, though, in that same passage, uh, maybe something that we don't often hear talked about. And so we came across this very interesting phrase in verse 35. Women receive back their dead, raised to life again. So now if you're like me, naturally, you're wondering, well, it would have been good to have a name there <laughs> instead of just women. Um, but Spencer and I, we scoured the Gospels, and we found one such case. And these are from the, the Gospels, mind you. So this is Jesus talking about um, something from the Old Testament. And so this is Luke 4. And he says, I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was sent, not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. So, naturally, today we're going to be wondering well, who's this widow? Who's that widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon? And by the way, if you hear me saying things strangely, it's because after doing a year and a half of Hebrew, now sometimes I want to jump to the Hebrew pronunciation, which nobody says. So I'll be saying Baal later, and you'll be like, do you mean Baal? Yes. Uh, if I was from the South, I'd be saying Baal right now. Um, but I'm going to be saying Baal probably. Just uh, just uh, stick with me, please, if, uh, if you will. So 1 Kings 17, just to give you a tiny little bit of background here. Uh, Solomon, the great and wise Solomon, has failed. The kingdom is divided. And the northern kingdom of Israel is being led by Ahab. Obviously, any kind of king named Ahab, you've got to wonder. Like, wow, what a name, Ahab. Actually sounds a little cooler in, in Hebrew, but yeah, Ahab. And he marries a Canaanite woman named Jezebel. You've probably heard this term used in idioms that I don't need to bring up here. Uh, <laughs> but Jezebel worshipped the Baals, or I will say Baal, um, and her father, in fact, really loved Baal so much that his name was Et Baal, meaning "with Baal." He's like, "That's going to be my identity." So that's the guy that Ahab, the, the king of Israel, decided he decided to marry her. <laughs> so I, I'm not entirely certain why this happened, um, but anyhow, that's that's what we have. So in the midst of all this, we get a prophet named Elijah. And you'll see up here these really cool scenes. I'm going to walk around. Hopefully nothing happens to the sound. Um, And thank you so much, audio and sound team, not just here, but also Fred and everyone. Thank you so much to them. So this is Elijah. Um, This is, in fact, a contemporary painting. I was there. (laughs) Uh, this This is someone's impression, obviously. But he was fed by ravens. You can see ravens way up there. Later on, the main arc of Elijah's story is this incredible moment where he says, well, let's put Baal to the test. Let's see who answers. It's, it's a wonderful passage. We don't have time to get there today. But he even starts to mock them when Baal doesn't show Oh, maybe he's traveling. Well, thank God we don't have a God who travels, right? Um, and finally, we have this awesome moment where he's just saying, peace. But it's, uh, <laughs> this is Elisha, and there's Elijah, and he's being taken up to heaven. Right after that, Elisha is kind of a fanboy of Elijah, and he picks up that cloak, and he starts to smack a river with it, and the river parts, and it's wonderful. You guys got to read the Bible. Please read the Bible. <laughs> it, is a, it is an amazing story. But we're going to be looking today at a, a, a point in time that's actually not these really amazing things, but it's right at the beginning of finding Elijah, and he's called the Tishbite. We'll get to there in a minute, Um, but I just wanted to point out this is kind of the main thing that Elijah's here to do, why we read about him in the Bible, what he's really known for. Um, He asked this a chapter later than what we're going to read, but I think in some ways it's helpful to understand that, to understand the chapter we are going to read. And so, this is in that same instance you saw in the middle with the fire that was going to be coming down. It's before that fire came down. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But of course, the people said nothing. <laughs> so they still stayed in that land of indecision. But this is, you could say, the central question Who is your God? And that's not just the question that I'm asking about the text today, by the way. I'm asking you, who is your God? So be thinking about that, please. But first, I want to talk about faith from afar. So this is when Elijah's still in his uh, raven phase, I guess you could call it. Um, it's, it's a cool phase, I think. We don't have a lot of time to get into that. But I want to read this because Elijah himself had to get, go pretty far to meet this woman of faith. This is uh, 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 1, and please feel free just to hear this, hear the word of the Lord. We have many distractions out there today, and I know we might have to get into your phone, you're going to have notifications, but feel free just to listen to it. I'm going to try to read it so that you can hear it, Uh, but I may fail in that too. Uh, Amen. So this is uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. First, I just have to pause there. What a crazy thing to start off your your prophetic, your your prophethood. I'm not sure of the correct word for this, but that's how we started. You're just going to have a drought. That's what's going to be happening. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, "'Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerit Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there.' I don't know about you, but I really do wish that I could have some ravens directed to supply me with food sometime, but I'm not Elijah. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the cara ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him food and, uh, sorry, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So so far, even though things are kind of getting bad for everybody, Elijah's at least taken care of. And just remember that phrase, though, that the ravens were directed by the Lord. That's so what the Lord said. I've directed the ravens to supply you with food. Just keep that phrase in the back of your mind for just a minute. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And I was wondering, you know, at least if I'm Elijah, well, how long is this brook going to last? They just pronounced this, so... Uh, there's, there's things to get into there but we'll, uh, we'll leave it for another time and by the way I just have to say thank you also to Spencer who helped me focus and not get lost in the really cool Hebrew going on here but again read your Bibles folks then the word of the Lord came to him go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there I have directed a widow to supply you with food now I don't know if uh, this stood out to you but to me when I saw this word directed I wondered hmm what is being said here about the raven and the widow? <laughs> now, if, if you're like me, you think, well, of course, God has control over all nature. And in many ways, he has control, of course, over all of the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. But he directs the widow to do this. And if you know, as I know, people are not ravens. So I wonder, coming into this story, just even before we begin to read this, What is going to be happening with this widow? And again, she is said later on that she has great faith. But I wonder if she might have a little struggle with this direction. Because remember, what was just said, there is a drought going on in the land. And you know also that you need water for crops. So people are having a very difficult time. Ravens, being scavengers, I would imagine could find things. I'm sure they could find things that the Lord just provides. But I'm not sure if the same could be said for a widow. So just consider that. And I don't know that any one of us will be called or directed to uh, support anybody here, but uh, I, I feel for you if that ever happens. So let's keep going. We've talked about a little bit about faith from afar, but I wanted to mention how far they really had to go. Um, we'll see if I can use this laser pointer. I'm told there's danger involved. Yes. Um, so Samaria down here, this is possibly where Ahab was, but this is the, the northern kingdom where Israel is. And I'm confounded by a piano. Over here is the Carrot Brook. This is where Elijah was told to hang out. He's from down there behind the piano in Tishba. And he had to go probably over 80 miles up here to Zarephath. Now, right here, that would be where Tyre is, the famous Tyre that eventually Alexander the Great would come and conquer, and it was an amazing story. I'd look into that. And then way up here, beyond those backlights, that would be where Sidon is. Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty long journey. But it's interesting, just so we get the scope of how, how far this drought extended. Pretty much anywhere you go, 80 miles away from where it was pronounced, it affects it. I just think that's pretty crazy. Um, so now we're going to talk about faith at the edge. And we're going to meet this widow. This is beginning in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? Now, if I was the guy who had just pronounced a drought in the land, I would have at least have said this a little longer. It may have taken me a paragraph to get to the point where I actually asked for some water because I was the guy who just pronounced that word, even though it was from the Lord. So I just want to point out there's, there's a little bit of gall going on here. As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, that's a short sentence, but we should not run past it if it's a short sentence. What did she do? She went immediately to get the water. We know that there's a drought going on in the land. Isn't that some amazing faith right there? She goes immediately. She was doing something else. She's there at the town gate. She's gathering sticks. And I I do wonder what the sticks are for. I think other people, and Spencer's telling me, Devin, it's firewood. She's gathering firewood. this doesn't say firewood there, so just forgive me. Um, But she's gathering sticks, and I just wonder, there's a lot going through her head. She had already been directed by the Lord to do this, and the first thing she does, she's like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go get the water. But let's see what happens in verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the widow's finally being open about the situation. And that little sentence in 11, that, where we don't even get her response, is surely balanced by her real situation here. But also note, as surely as the Lord your God lives, there is some faith there. Because if you remember from just a minute ago, that's part of the Shema. That's part of that prayer. And I wonder what the direction to the widow was. I feel like part of it probably did involve that. We don't get that here, obviously. But there is still some faith there. But it's still the Lord, your God. It's still not her God. But in verse 13 we have, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first... Take it or make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I wonder if you can think of some times in your life in which your faith brings you to the edge. I was really wrestling with the fact that she was okay with getting water. But when it came to the flour and everything, she wasn't. And what I've come to the conclusion is that she probably thought, well, I've heard Elijah talking about water, so it seems like your God can control water but I'm not sure if he can control these other things. (laughs) So I wonder in our own lives, how do we limit God? What things do we box God into? I think it's also not a coincidence that Baal, especially the the version that we know of, was a storm god, a god of weather and of water. And so her background would be, I know God's deal with weather, but what about this, this food? It takes a while to grow food. It's not just at Walmart, like all of us experience and enjoy today. I probably should say Ralph's. I mean, Walmart has good bread, too. (laughs) So I just have to wonder in these moments how far we decide God can go in our lives. The great thing about the widow is she said, you know what? I'm going to run with this. I'll stick with you, Elijah. However, (laughs) the story doesn't end there. We would think that everything would be hunky-dory from then on. And, you know, if you read, it's a very interesting story uh, later on, but I want to go right next to what happens. Now, we don't know exactly how long is in between this. It's just some time later. But we have this moment where faith has to become obedient. There's not really any room left for our faith to actually grow and to flourish and to sprout. We have to give everything, as we'll find here. This is beginning in verse 17. Some time later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. I think it's interesting, and this is something that actually Spencer helped me to see, But the widow had to give over her son. If you remember earlier, the thing that stopped her, the thing that stopped her from immediately going and making the bread was that she had to make something for herself and her son. And perhaps that's where our faith can stop too. There's some area in our life where I don't know. I don't know if I believe that God can actually reach over into this. And so what had to happen? The son had to die. But miraculously, when she fully gave that over, then she realized it's not just some word. It's the word of the Lord from your mouth. And it is true. She knew in that moment. So... Uh, I'm just about out of my time and we're going to have the wonderful Spencer Wright come up. But I wanted to leave you just with this part as Spencer now takes us into the New Testament and we hear Jesus who himself seems inspired by the same woman's faith. But the word of the Lord is true and our faith flourishes when we hear and obey it. And in some ways, this woman was being brought into the family of Israel, this Gentile woman from far away, far in the north. She was being told to hear Hear. And as she heard, as she came to obey, her faith flourished and she got everything she needed in this life. And now we're going to have the wonderful Spencer Wright come up and lead us now into the New Testament. Please uh, put your hands together for Spencer.
1: I was wondering if we could do a favor give a few more snaps and claps for Devin right there. He says wonderful but I'm really just here. My name is Spencer. I'm just here to land the plane that he has started flying. That's that's all I'm here to do. Uh, like I said, my name is Spencer. I actually have the opportunity to be an intern here and I'm going to be wrapping up this series about the accounts, about stories of faith. It's actually started and begun earlier in January with Rhett, and then we had Ryan Winkler. And if you notice, and as well as Devin, they all mention stories of faith in Hebrews 11. And so we're going to wrap up there. We're going to keep going with the widow inside Sidon. But I wanted to, before we get into the New Testament, I wanted to really hone in on the old. Because I think that, if I can use this, and I can there is so much that we can learn from this widow. Her life really illustrates lessons for us, but it's not a classroom. And one lesson that we see from her life in terms of faithful obedience is the cost, which Devin already started to touch upon. This woman was probably not Israelite. And, and so we'll see this right here because I don't have it, but I have these pictures that represent costs that she had to pay to follow God's will to get her outcome, which was the flour, which was the bread. And so one we see is her culture. The US flag definitely represents us and our culture, not hers. Sidon is in modern-day Lebanon. So this flag would not work, but it represents our culture. And again, we see her say, your God. This was not a God she would have been familiar with. We also see bread, because what does Elijah do? He comes in, and he's, he's asking for bread for him first. And then we see effort. You all know. You all have cooked before. I know you all do. We, we don't just put stuff in the microwave. When, when we cook, that requires effort, too, as well as the microwave. I, I can get a little lazy, and so the microwave can take effort, too. But it, it takes effort. And she's not just cooking for her. She's cooking for her son. And then she's cooking for Elijah. And that actually brings me up to my next point, which is space. Because Elijah was just one person, but this is a grown man. He comes in here asking and talking about his God, and then he, he's asking for food for him first, and then she has to make it for him, and then she needs. It, and then he's taking up space, because it was, we see in the account, he's still there. I don't know if he paid, I don't know what he did, but he's taking up space, he's taking up food, he's talking about his God, he, he's bringing it all in. I don't know what he's giving back, but we see that later. And so these are possible costs, and I, I wanted to know if you all could do me a favor. Because I've never been a widow, and and I was really trying to situate myself in the text and really try to feel what she was feeling. This is the closest that I could get. I was wondering if you could raise your hand if you've ever used Google Maps before. Great. Or ways, one of these things. You can't see it, but this is Google Maps. And I share this because I have a problem with Google Maps. And you may be able to understand. So a lot of times I use Google Maps. And sometimes it's for a location I'm kind of familiar with. But then it gives me a route. And I don't want to take that route. Like I, I kind of already know the location. And so what I would rather do is kind of go my own way that's more convenient. Because I already know. And I just want to save time. Because time is not something that I have a lot of. I don't live forever. So, I, you know, I just... My way is the best way, it's just easier that way, but the outcome, it doesn't end like that. What ends up happening is, you know, the time at the bottom, it increases, and I start getting delays, and it always happens. I can almost count on it, but what I see, and what I'm actually learning from Google Maps, is that in order for me to navigate to a place I haven't been, I have to rely on something other than myself to get the outcome that I want. So imagine, like, if I have a hard time obeying you know, Google Maps, imagine how it is with me and God. So, so please pray, please, I need it, because Google Maps, it's already teaching me. But these are things that we see in terms of navigation. In order for her to get more food, she couldn't do it her way. She couldn't go to her God. In order for her to, to receive her son back, she actually had to give up her son, which is actually crazy because it says she's a widow. And then she has to give her son's body like this may be the last of her family that she ever had. She's giving it up. And so that leads us to our next point. That faithful obedience of one can mold many. And as Devin illustrated, this widow and this account in her life is actually mentioned later throughout the New Testament. We see it in Hebrews 11. We also see it in Luke 7 as well as Luke 4. It just keeps coming back up. And we will see. And I'm not going to read all of this. As Devin was discussing, it's so great to read your Bible. So you can see it right there. But if you have Bibles, please feel free to read this passage. But as we're seeing, Jesus goes to this town called Nain. And there's a large crowd. And why is there a crowd? Because someone died. And and the dead person that's being carried out is the only son of his mother. His mother being a widow. And a large crowd again starts to form. The Lord says to her, Don't cry. And as we go forward, and what we'll see is that he just tells the man who's sitting there, This is a funeral procession. And he tells him, Get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I find this very interesting because when we look in verse 16, It says, the people were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. A prophet. And who would they have been referring to? They're referring to Jesus, but there was another prophet who did this, and I heard it in the crowd. Elisha, and more specifically, Elijah, a prophet who raised a widow's son back from the dead. Jesus is stepping into the mold of her life experience. And there it is. And we see him acting it out and fulfilling it in his ministry. But that's not all. We have more. Because as we'll see, Jesus doesn't just stop there. When we go in Luke 7, he mentions her in explicit detail. And Luke 7 actually leads us to our next point, which is finding faith in foreign places. And so this account actually comes right after Jesus is tempted. He's beginning to start his ministry, and as we'll go back real quick, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking in a synagogue on a Sabbath day. He's reading the Isaiah scroll, which is so cool to me because, you know, we have Isaiah today, we can read the same thing that he read. And as we're going forward, He's talking about it and discussing it. And he says in verse 21, that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But what is the first thing that people do? They say, is this Joseph's son? Is this the carpenter's kid? Well, he, he's his daddy's side. That's what, that, that's what they automatically go to. He just announced that he fulfilled the prophecy and, and this is where they automatically shift to. And it's very interesting because as we go forward, Jesus calls them on it, and he, he, he talks about how, you know, this proverb, and he says, physician, heal yourself, and he's basically discussing this idea that, that they're doubting. It, prophets, it's so hard for them to perform miracles in their own hometown, and what does he do? He mentions the widow in Sidon. There it is, right there, because Elijah didn't go in his hometown. He went to Sidon, but then what happens after? We see the people are furious. They get up, they drive him out of town, to take him to the brow of a cliff, and then they try to kill him. But he walks through, and that's incredible, but it, it just begs the question for me, why were the people so upset? He, he, he's talking about Isaiah. That's great. That's the word of God. They doubt. He tries to correct them, and then they try to kill him. But I think it's because it really takes us to our next point. And for... In order for that to happen, we really need to situate ourselves in the text. So put on your sandals, your Jerusalem ones. We we have to go back in time. Let's do it. Think about this. They're in a synagogue. It's Sabbath day. These people were probably Jewish, the audience. They're Israelites. And, And who were the Israelites? They were supposed to be God's chosen people. As we see in Psalms 89, they're supposed to be the people who show the world who God is. But as we learn in the Bible, things don't always turn out that way. And so Jesus is saying that I'm God. I'm the one who's prophesied, but they don't believe. And his suggestion to them is, one, you're not believing, but you need to look at these people to believe. And this leads to our next point, that perhaps faithful obedience can be found in the places we would rather not look. And I'll explain right now because, see, Jesus' solvency... It's to look at a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, but then he also says something else. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And we haven't talked about Naaman. This is someone who Elijah's successor, Elijah, worked with, but Naaman was a Syrian. The widow in Zarephath was from Sidon. These were people who are not Israelites, So God's saying, you can learn about faithful obedience from these people who are not chosen like you were. That's what you need the example for, because you're doubting. Not only are you doubting, but this is where you need to look. And that's not where they wanted to look. They're supposed to be God's chosen people. They thought they were doing it right. It was their will is their way. That's what they thought. And so in many ways, this is almost an insult, because as we see, like, When you think about it, even the identity of being Israelite and being Jewish, it's called ethno-religious. It's an ethno-religious identity because over time, you know, practicing God and being with God, that became their culture. The Sabbath, reading the Torah, the mission of these things. And Jesus is really kind of calling out their culture. He's calling out their identity. And I hear that, and and I'm not Jewish, but I, I consider to myself, you know, how do I receive this. You know what does this look like today? To to find p- faith in places I'd rather not see. And I think about how yes, maybe we all are not Jewish, but we all go to church every Sunday. I see you all about every Sunday. You know, I see you all at midweek. It, a lot of people here and even I, I try to live as if I am I'm one of God's people. But what if the illustrations of faithful obedience are found in other places? Maybe not just here on Sunday, but maybe in other spaces, maybe with classmates or coworkers or the person you thought kind of cut you off on the freeway. Or maybe it's a friend that goes to a different denomination, denominational church that you do. A lot of those places and those examples, they're hard for me to look. I'd rather look here. I wouldn't want to look outside to inform myself. But again, if I'm doing God's will, it can't be about mine. And so these are our three points. These are the ideas that that faithful obedience of one can mold many. Mm -hmm. That sometimes we need to look for faith in foreign places. And that's where we'll find those illustrations. And with that, I want to thank you all so much. We're actually going to transition right now into communion. And it's very interesting to me because Devin and I just spent this time talking about widows. We talked about the widow in 1 Kings 17. We kind of touched on on Luke 7 and the widow there. And there are these women who are intimately familiar with losing their son. But there's this symmetry in the four gospels where they all have this account of a woman who's very familiar with her son's loss. And we know that because... He died right in front of her. We know that because that woman was Mary, her son being Jesus. And Jesus was okay with this because he knew that in order for him to come and, and to have a chance at communion with us, he would have to lose something. It would just have to happen. And he was willing to make that choice. He was. And it, it's, it's just, it's incredible to me because you look at that, And you look at his will and his death, and he's very obedient. We even look at Philippians 2 and and how Paul describes Jesus being obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so with that, I will pray for communion. God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for just allowing us the time to be here and listen to you, as hard as it is to listen. And I pray that as we listen and as we hear, we can also do as well, Father as you would require of us, God. Uh, I thank you for taking the chance with us. God, you knew that we would not always take the the, the chance that you offer, but you don't seem to bleed any less on the cross. Thank you so much. Pray that we can please you in your name. Thanks for listening to
0: the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.